declare that this morning. Your name is the highest. Your name is the greatest. Your name is above all other names, Lord. And we don't only declare that this morning, Lord, but we declare that over our lives, God. I pray that we would be a people when our earthly foundations crumble, that we can claim with confidence, Lord, that you are our foundation, our firm foundation, Lord. I just pray that as Pastor Rick comes up to preach his message, Lord, I pray that his words would be pleasing to you. And Lord, I pray that we would be humble enough to receive what you want us to hear, Lord. Not what we want to hear, but what you want us to hear, Lord. I pray all these things in your glorious and holy name. Amen. Welcome each one of you. We began last week a study in Hebrews chapter 11. God is giving us examples of how kids, his kids, his family members can please him. Not because we have to, but because we get to. God defined faith as an uncompromising confidence in his word. That, that we can bank on promises, even if we don't see or experience the fulfillment of them. Let's review for a moment. By faith, we believe that God formed the universe by the word of his mouth. By faith, Abel's sacrifice, his blood sacrifice, was accepted, and Cain's wasn't. You see, we're going to find as we continue to go down this road that ordinary people trusting and living by God's promises will please God. Let's begin our time and pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming boldly into your throne room. We thank you, Father, that we can gather and we can sing praises to you. We can adore you. We can realign ourselves with who you are. Lord, life is crazy at times. It's so busy. There are things that seem to distract us, things that steal from us. Well, the important and replace it with the urgent. So I pray, dear Father, that you would give us perspective today. That as we open up your word, your spirit would be so active that we would leave here encouraged, strengthened, convicted, empowered. 
God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness. I pray, Father, for churches, many different churches, not only in this area, but all over the state, in our country, in our world, for all those who are meeting together, faithfully hearing your word and singing your praises and lifting up their voices in prayer. Father, we pray in particular for three churches in our area. We pray for Casa de Rocion. We pray for the Orchard and McHenry. And we pray for Grace Point. God, we know again that these flocks love you and desire to represent you well. And we pray that you would be with them, with their teachers. I pray especially even right now, Father, for the ladies' retreat. Those folks who have gone up to camp and and are coming back. They've had an opportunity to hear from your word and to praise and to connect with one another. I pray even now, God, that you would do a work in them. Bring them back safely and give them perspective and strength. Father, I pray for Tig, Tig Harder. We're so grateful for the news that we received that Drew and Brendan uh, added baby number five. And we are grateful for the health and the strength and the opportunity you've given them to rear children under a roof that loves you and honors you. We pray for healing. We pray for strength. We pray for adjustment as they continue to figure out life with another little one. We pray, Father, for all the kids and the teachers downstairs. We know again, God, that they are being taught your word. Would they respond Would they fall in love with you more and more and more? We are so grateful for that ministry and for all the ministries that will gather this week and all the small groups that will come together. We pray, dear God, that you would bring yourself honor in all these things. Now today, fathers, we open up your word. Once again, we are dependent on your spirit. We're dependent on you to teach us. So we ask you to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you would, you can turn your Bibles uh, to Hebrews chapter 11. We're also going to bounce back to Genesis 5. But Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm going to start reading verses 5 and 6. And then go back over to Genesis. Um, There's not a whole lot of material on Enoch. And we'll find out uh, most of what the scriptures talk about Enoch. But let's start off. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 5. It was by faith Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. 
Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. And then if you would, go to uh, Genesis chapter 5 and starting at verse 21. When Enoch was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. After the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship or walked with God for another 300 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Enoch lived 365 years, walking in close fellowship with God. Then one day he disappeared because God took him. In these few verses, we find out and learn that Enoch had faith that pleased God. We don't exactly even know up to this moment what that faith looks like or, or how he pleased God with his faith. But we know he had faith that pleased God. We also know this, that he walked in close fellowship with God for 300 years. That, that had to catch your attention. 300 years. It, it's hard to understand as someone living that long or walking with God that long. But realistically, especially in the beginning of Genesis, lifespans were in the 900s. Hard for us to figure out. So, so technically, when Enoch became a dad at 65, he was kind of a young whippersnapper. All right, if you put that into perspective. And then we learn this. He didn't die. Enoch didn't die. He was beamed or translated up to heaven. Now, God-pleasing faith means walking with God and banking on his word. Walking faithfully with God talks about a lifestyle or a pattern. It's something that happens over and over. Now, the scriptures tell us that Enoch walked with God for 300 years. He was close or intimate with God. And and if some of you kind of start wrestling with this, saying, whoa, like, what do you do in a relationship for 300 years? I mean, you got to begin not talking about some things, right? But we all know couples who celebrate 50 years of marriage or 60 years of marriage or 70 years of marriage. And if God gives them health, they're together for a reason. You start looking at that and start picking apart that relationship. And, and you see this unbelievable time that they've spent together. Now, can you imagine being married? Uh, okay, let's forget the married part. Living 300 years. Impossible today. But back then, 300 years of getting up, talking with God, 
interacting with God, learning from God every day. Oftentimes, we get excited if we walk with God for a week or sometimes a month or or sometimes a year. But what would happen even if somehow your relationship with God developed and maybe you have 10 years left, maybe you have 20 years left, maybe you have 30 years left, Uh, who knows? But all of a sudden you... Start meeting with God every day for those 30 years. Your perspective of God is going to be different at the end of that time. Now, again, we're going to push this out. Enoch did this for 300 years. Now, today, a believer has the Spirit living in them. When somebody comes to faith, when someone receives Christ as their Savior, the Scriptures tell us that the Holy Spirit takes residence in you, lives in you. The Scriptures tell us that as you walk each day, that believers ought to walk by means of the Spirit, In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, the apostle writes this, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. In some of your other translations, it would be, Walk every day by the means, by the power, by the authority of the Spirit. So so every day, stay connected to the Spirit. Every day, listen to the Spirit. The Spirit that's living inside of you. The Spirit that's convicting you. The Spirit that is in residence. Stay connected with that Spirit. In Micah 6, 8, the prophet shares what the Lord said. And the Lord says that he told those Jews what is good. And this is what he requires of you, you God-fearing people, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Walk. This metaphor that we're going to be talking about over and over, have fellowship with your God listening to God, learning from your God, having this humble relationship. Now, the exhortation is given because you don't have to walk with the Spirit. I don't have to walk with the Spirit. The Scriptures actually tell us that we can grieve or quench the fire of the Spirit or the relationship of the Spirit, or literally we can sadden or make the Spirit sad. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, again, the Apostle Paul writes this, Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not quench. Do not put the fire out. Don't you put your hand up when the Spirit is talking and refuse to listen. 
That happens when every one of us sin. And all of us continue to sin. We wrestle. But the Scripture also tells us, and we're going to be looking at that in a moment, that when we confess our sin, then we're able to hear from God again and allow that Holy Spirit to lead us and direct us. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, Paul again writes and says this to, those very, to that very mature church. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. Don't make the Holy Spirit sad by the way you live. I think this is just a little different than sin. Sin always breaks fellowship. Sin always puts water on the fire. But I think this is more about poor life choices. This is right in the middle of a section of encouraging the church to live holy. And, And I think really what Paul is saying here is don't make the spirit sad by the choices that you make. You may even be making some good choices. But I want you to focus on things that will grow you, mature you, make you holy. Now, one of the things I've noticed is that walking is spending time with God. It's not like a hike. When I come home certain evenings, I don't come in and look at Sharon and say, hey, honey, let's go for a hike. I can tell you her answer, no. It's easy, you know. I'm not going for a hike. We're not doing a destination. We're not trying to to accomplish X, Y. How about if we go for a walk? We're not even sure of our path. But we start off and we have this conversation. There's, There's no, shall I say, hidden agendas. How was your day? What's God been teaching you? Have you heard from the kids? X, Y, Z. And this conversation goes back and forth. I think it's the same way with God. We have an opportunity every day to walk with him, to talk with him, to share our hearts with him. Some of us, again, we we quickly whip out a prayer, especially when you're getting pulled over. All right? But just throughout the day, it, it's just, well, God is there. I better thank the Lord for the food. I better pray for this traffic. I don't know if I'm going and, and we shoot that out. And I don't think that's necessarily bad. But this walking with God is this just communication. It, it's talking back and forth. When we hear the exhortation of pray without ceasing, some of us go, are you kidding me? On my knees all day? This is crazy. I think the apostles just trying to share, hey, keep talking with your father. Keep talking. Just go for a walk. Uh, Listen to him. Again, all of us are encouraged to pray, and all of us, in order to grow, are encouraged to read God's word. But do we read God's word in order to get knowledge? Does it ever become a love letter where you begin to meditate on certain things and you begin to read it over and over? Maybe you even begin to memorize it. 
But it's not, again, the accomplishment of reading your Bible through every year or twice or X or Y. But it's walking with God. It's talking with God. It's listening to God. It's meditating. And really, what you're doing is learning who God is and how to trust God. When you first come to faith, you don't know who God is very well. And when he asks you to respond to certain things, it's very hard, and sometimes you just do it uh, for fear. Well, as you spend a year or two or three or 300, you learn who God is. You learn to respond differently. Your actions begin to reflect this. And what happens is, is that you become more and more and more submissive because it's easy to submit to someone you trust. You see, what happens is God lives in us. This intimacy changes us from the inside out. I love when the Apostle Paul writes this to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 16. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, whenever someone comes to faith, receives Christ as Savior, the veil is taken away. The eyesight is open. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of God. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. If we spend a year in fellowship, as we walk with God. At the end of that year, each one who does that looks a little bit more like Jesus. The Spirit changes things, chips away the things that, well, are more Rick rather than Jesus. What a promise. What a blessing. And so we go back to Enoch. He did this for 300 years. Seriously? He walked with God for 300 years? My guess is he didn't look too much like Enoch. I think he probably reflected God more and more and more. His heart's desires changed. His priorities changed. He loved spending time with God. I often use the position and walk circles. And if you've been with us, you, you've seen this diagram, and you can pick up a copy uh, in our lobby if you'd like. Or, or again, for most of you, this is just review. But for me, this is a diagram that helps us understand what walking with God is all about. When you come to faith, when you come to the cross, you immediately go into two circles. Again, this is for illustration. The top circle is called position. You're a child of God. You're always a child of God. You will never leave that position. You can't get out of that circle. But the lower circle is called 
a walk or fellowship? Or are you spirit-led? Or are you obedient? And as long as you stay in that circle, as long as you listen to God, you're in that circle, you are listening to the Spirit, you're responding to the Spirit, the Spirit is chipping away things that don't represent God well. You're being guided, you're being directed, you're being convicted, you're hearing from God, you're walking with God. How do we get out of that circle? We sin. Sin breaks fellowship with God, doesn't cast you out of the family. But you break fellowship with God. And believers can live a long time outside that circle. Because if they don't confess their sin, we know God is holy. God can't guide. God can't talk. God can't influence. We need to repent. We need to confess. And as soon as we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Give us the right standing again. (coughs) When we're inside the circle, the green, we're walking in the spirit. When we're outside, we're walking in the flesh. Now, you know, one of the, the exciting things for me is that we talk often about the greats here. And, and one of the illustrations in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28, uh, talks about being yoked. And, and Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and I am gentle at heart and I will give you rest. And and we talk about what being yoked is and being yoked is being connected to God, letting him be the lead horse, the lead oxen, the lead whatever. That as we walk with him, we understand what pace, we know when to stop, we know what direction to go in. We're there hooked up. We're listening to his words. We're learning from this humble, gentle servant and becoming more and more like him. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but we're going to go back to Hebrews chapter 11. Did you notice that Enoch began walking with God after he became a father? A father. He was 65 years old and don't know much again, and I'm not even trying to stick more into the Scripture. I'm just saying that we know he was 65. We know that he became a father, and we know afterwards, for the remainder of his life, he walked with God. I think God often uses like situations like that in our life to increase our intimacy. You know, there's nothing like becoming a parent, especially the first time. Do you you remember that? Do you you remember even maybe watching your kids go through this? And this little baby, not that fragile, but we think he or she is fragile, 
And we bring that baby up and we, we look at that baby and we go like, oh, okay, I read all the instruction manuals. I, I, I've been told all the things I need to do. What do I do? How do I do this? And then in some ways, you look around at our culture even now. What was I thinking? How are we going to rear this little boy, this little girl, in the culture that we're in? It's so ungodly. How are they going to stay safe? Will they ever know Jesus? Will they ever walk with God? God, give me wisdom. And there's this dependence. There's this realization that you don't have it. You don't have the wisdom. You don't have the strength. You don't have the knowledge. You won't have the money. You don't have any of those things. And I think that's what went on with Enoch. You may not understand this completely, and we'll probably talk about it a little bit, but Enoch's culture was really evil. Enoch lived right before the flood when God judged the world with a flood. And we'll be talking about that next week a little bit more. But realistically, rough patches often draw us to God or it can drive us away from God. And I think in this case, Enoch was driven to God. Bible also talks, though, about walking apart from God or in a world or, or walking in the world. The scriptures tell us we can't walk with God and can't walk with the ungodly. In Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, the psalmist writes this, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. We have learned that faith is banking on God's word, is trusting everything God says. Now, there's one other text in the scriptures that talk about Enoch, give us a little bit more insight. So what did Enoch bank on? Why was God so pleased with his faith? Well, we know at least one thing. In the book of Jude, it's only one chapter long, one of Jesus' brothers actually wrote this. And in verses 14 and 15, and this is what the scripture says. Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. He said, listen, the Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. He will convict every person of all the ungodly things they have done and for all the insults that the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, you can go into that book and look at the context of that book, but the, these things that Jude was speaking of were ungodly people who actually at this time wormed their way into the church. They were saying that Hey, God's grace allows them to live immoral, ungodly lives. After all, I can live any way I want, and God will just forgive me. There's some truth in that, but that is not the example of what God is trying to teach us in Jude. What Jude did is he used Enoch as an example of a person who preached to the ungodly, 
and told them of God's coming judgment. We know the culture was evil. We know that this was just before the flood. And we know that somehow Enoch was a preacher of righteousness. He had walked with God. He knew the blessings of walking with God. And he also knew what not walking with God would look like. Well, what can we bank on today? And each time we meet in this series, I'm going to try to focus on some different truths. But one of the things we can bank on is that God will judge evil in his time, all evil. We sometimes feel like, well, some of the bad guys are getting away with it. The truth is, and in Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 5, Paul writes this, but because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. We can bank on that. God is going to bring justice. He promises. But another thing we can bank on in a whole, uh, well, more positive note is that joy only comes in a relationship with God. We can bank on that. Yes, sin will be judged. But great joy will happen when you have a relationship with with God, when you walk with God. Psalm 1611 says this, you will show me the way of life. God, as I spend time with you, you teach me how to live, granting me the joy of your presence. As I spend time with you, God, there is joy. I am enjoying what we talk about what we interact about, and the pleasures of living with you forever. That doesn't catch some of our attention because we don't really think about dying a lot until at least you're 35. Then you start thinking that way. But Enoch, if we go back to this, was beamed to heaven. He was no more. Over and over the scripture said this, but God took him home after 300 years of walking with him. And in, my guess is, it was at the height of his intimacy. A 300-year relationship. Maybe, and the scriptures doesn't tell us this, but maybe God said, this is amazing. I have walked with this man for 300 years. Normally, he's going to live, you know, another 500 years or whatever. But this is amazing. How about if we leave the restrictions of earth and you just come home? Well, why don't you do that? Now, I'm not sure that's what happened, but I got to believe Something like that was happening. I love being with you, Enoch. You love being with me, Enoch. Hey, Enoch, come on up. 
But I also think God gives us a snapshot of the rapture, a term that some of you are familiar with. But you can turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And this really is kind of an exciting text. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want to start reading at verse 13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to believers who have died. So you won't or you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have already died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the heavens to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. And he closes up. So encourage one another with these words. Do do you believe it? This is part of of coming to faith and being part of God's family. For those, maybe like the thief on the cross, who just, well, saw God's grace, didn't have a whole lot of a relationship with him, but asked Jesus while he was dying, remember me, would you? And he ended up in paradise that night. But what about the believers who are following and are walking and the intimacy is growing. And and you've been walking with God for a month or for a year or for 10 years or for 20 years or for 50 years. And God has been chipping away and you're looking more and more like Jesus. And this fellowship is sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. And your communication back and forth. And you start thinking, whoa. There is nothing that this world can offer me that wants to keep me here. That's it. I just want to be with you, Jesus. I, I, I want the shackles of all this away. Jesus, I want you. And encourage one another, well, forever. Like the first day. Well, okay, I have a million more years. No, Rick, it's longer. It it is. But we can hardly think like that. We can. But it all starts here. It all starts with our intimacy. It all starts with our walk. It's all walking with God. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. We've already read this, but let me focus on this a little bit as we bring this to a close. Hebrews 11, 6. 
So we have this illustration. We learn about Enoch. And he just ends up telling us that Enoch is a person who pleased God. In verse 6, and it is impossible to please God without faith. I, I just want you to know, Enoch pleased me. And he pleased me because of his faith. He pleased me because of his obedience with his walk. And then the author goes here. Anyone who wants to come to him, to God, must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Pleasing faith is defined. It requires for us to believe who God is, that God exists, that God says who he says he is. I love Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, where God himself describes him. And he says this, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I, God says, am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, this Hesed love and faithfulness. I will lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I, God says, I forgive iniquity. I am a forgiver. I forgive rebellion and I forgive sin. That's who God is. But I do not excuse the guilty. This is only one verse. But the type of faith that pleases God is when we are revealed at different parts, especially in the scripture, of who God is, that we actually believe it. Well, I don't know if God is really a God of love. Look what he allows to happen. I don't always have answers. But I know this, God is a God of love. I don't know why he grants me mercy at times, but he does. Secondly, pleasing faith requires us to believe God rewards those who seek him, who walk with him, who make God a priority. Not the way the world rewards with accomplishments and status and wealth. God gives contentment and joy and Jesus. And as we just read, a future. I love in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. This should just blow you away. It, it just should. Do any of us deserve this? Are, are you serious? You know you don't. I know I don't. But this is what Paul writes. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So yes, we can read about end times. We can even try to picture heaven and what that would look like. But I am told I can't figure it out. It's going to be so much better. Don't you love the song, I Can Only Imagine? So many of you know it. You know some of the background. But how true is that? I can only imagine. I, I don't get it. I won't get it. It will take you, what, one breath once you enter eternity to go, 
oh, wow. Are you serious, God? You know, it's hard sometimes as I see the sick and the infirmed and we don't want them to perish. We don't want them to die. But as I get closer, just seeing Jesus, do I want to pray for their health? I'm conflicted. Shut your eyes and go see Jesus. That, that is what happens. A deep relationship means seeking its intentionality. You never ever drift into a relationship at the end of your 60 or 70 years, if you have not sought God, if you've not made that a priority, do you think hocus pocus? Yeah, you'll end up in heaven. But really? Three hundred years of walking with God. When I first started this study, I'm going like, wow, that's a lot of verses here. <laughs> God, what? <laughs> but then it's been hard to focus on anything else this week. 300 years. I don't have that opportunity. None of you do. But he walked with God for 300 years. The scriptures tell us it is not difficult to identify people who walk with God. Their lives live or their lives are a stark contrast to the world around them. In Philippians chapter 2, it's like being stars on a dark night. When someone who walks with God walks into a room, there's grace, there's kindness, there's humility. And if someone who is 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 and they've been walking with God for 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years, do you understand how different it will be? They display the fruit of the Spirit rather than the fruit of walking apart from God. In fact, that's a great way to look. Look at your actions. Look how you talk. Look what you say. You should be able to know if you're walking with God or not. And if you're not, you need to repent. You need to confess. People who walk with God have faith that please God. Have you noticed that? They look at things differently. Their priorities are different. You know, what about this? If I could just toss this out as we're almost finished. People that know you, people that live with you, people that have known you for a long time. What would happen if 
you began walking with God, listening to God, responding to God, allowing the Spirit to chip away things that are you, and, and you begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit. People are going to start pinching themselves. They're going to start wondering, saying, what's the deal? Man, I know Wager. Wager doesn't act like this. I know his personality. I know how he talks. And the only conclusion they're going to have is he spends time with Jesus. That's what happened in Acts chapter 4. Do you realize that? The apostles, just days before Acts chapter 4, denied Jesus, run away from Jesus. The Spirit comes upon them in Acts chapter 2. Their lives are absolutely transformed. People are saying, hey, they're not educated. Hey, how come they have such power? How come all these people are coming to faith? And you know what the answer is? Uh, We don't know anything. All we know is they hung out with Jesus. Wow. You know what? There are no shortcuts Walk with Jesus for 300 years and look more like Jesus. A humble, gentle, loving servant. If you don't, you'll look more selfish, arrogant, self-focused, curmudgeon. Let me pray. Father, I was conflicted. I think, Lord, there's reasons why we're on this planet. And I think, God, there are scenarios and situations where you want us to stay. But God... As we walk with you, you change us. We see your grace and your mercy and your kindness. We see all the things we've been given that we don't deserve. We realize how selfish and arrogant we are, how we lack humility. And then you change us. Our walk with you is beautiful. Our walk with you is intoxicating. And we love it. God, we scratch our heads. Why would the creator, why would the God of gods want a relationship with me, with us? But you do, and you don't mix us up. You know exactly what to tell each one of us. You know and what to teach us. God, we are so amazed. We say thank you. We know we're not going to be around 300 years. But oh God, for the years you've given us, would we walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.